Philippians chapter 3, and short passage this week, suddenly hope rises within the house, short passage means short sermon. Short passage this week is verses 12 to 16, and Paul writes, well let me read from verse 10 just to get the flow from what he said before. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Question that Christians sometimes get asked or maybe should think about a little bit more. What do you do between your conversion and your funeral? It's cheerful, isn't it? What do you do? There is an awkward interval between being born again, being converted, being saved, becoming in Christ, whatever way you want to put that, that, that initial, whether that's a moment or, a, or a, a, over a season, it doesn't really matter to, to me, to be honest, but that initial coming to Christ and deciding to follow him, there's an awkward sort of gap in between being in Christ and being with Christ. And we make a a lot of fuss on the initial faith of being in Christ, and so we should. We preach the gospel, we invite people to get born again, and, and we emphasize the starting point. And there's a fair bit of talk about the finishing point, about being with him, but there's this sort of awkward in-betweeny bit that sometimes we're not quite sure what is going on. What should we be doing in the interval? The vast majority of us, as far as I know, are currently in the interval. We're in the in-between. What do we do? I think a lot of Christians are genuinely born again and within them there is a sense of, what now? What do I do now? I didn't just disappear as soon as I gave my life to Jesus. He didn't zap me off the planet to be with him. What do I do in the in-between? And the in-between period for Paul is crucial. The in-between period is so important. There is something going on here in that period in the middle. That question mark bit. There's something going on there. And what's going on is our character is being formed by the Holy Spirit. We are not the finished article. (laughs) We're not the finished article. We are being formed. We are being transformed. Our character is becoming more like the character of Jesus. We are being 
The way Eugene wonderfully put it one time was, he says, we're, we're like a bunch of sharp, pointy rocks. And what happens in church, in relationship, and in life is that God takes all those sharp, pointy rocks, puts them in a big old Hessian sack, and shakes them. And they knock all the rough edges off each other. <laughs> Your character is formed in that in-between period. And again, if we go back to way back to chapter 1, which seems like ages ago now, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said to them right at the start of the letter, He who began a good work in you, something has started. He will carry it on to completion. The moment that we get born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us, I believe, from that moment. There may be different stages after that where we come into more of the fullness, where we, we learn more and we embrace more the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. But when we're born again, God's Spirit starts a work in us of conforming us, transforming us to the likeness of Jesus so that the world can see him. That's what he began. He will carry it on to completion. That's the arrow in the middle, carrying it on to completion until we are with Christ, until the day of Christ Jesus. And the question that every parent has been asked many times, not so much in the past year because we can't go anywhere, are we there yet? And the answer is that every parent has also said, no, <laughs> we're not. It's that great scene from Shrek. Do you know Shrek? You know the, the donkey scene where it just keeps on asking again and again, are we there yet? We're not there yet. You're not there yet. Okay. Take encouragement. If you messed something up yesterday, it's because you're not there yet. None of us are there yet. doesn't matter how long, how many decades you've walked with God. We are not there yet. And Paul says in verse 12, I have not yet are not that I have already obtained all of this. And the all this that he's talking about is the stuff from last week, verses 10 and 11. He wants to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's what he wants. And he says in verse 12, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. This is Paul the Apostle. If we're going to do a league table of Christians, which we should never ever do, okay? But if we did, Paul's going to be pretty high up. He's going to be certainly, uh, certainly chasing after the European places, if nothing more. He is an incredibly passionate follower of Jesus. And, and the words that he uses here when he says um, that he has not already obtained all this, it's basically that he has almost, where is it? Yeah, in verse 13, I don't consider myself. It's, it's like he has sat down, he's used a mathematical term, and it's like he sat down with a file block and a pen, and he's worked it all out, and he's come to his conclusion at the end, I'm not there yet. I'm not the finished article. But he says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now, the English translators have helped us out there by putting in some extra words, but Paul does not say, but one thing I do. He says, but one. That's it. He just says, but one. Singular, one, one. That's it. There is one single emphasis to his life. 
one goal, one aim, one prize, one passion. There is only one that he is interested in. And I wonder here, is he, is he alluding back to the prayer that all Jews would pray? It's in Deuteronomy 6 and it's called the Shema. And, and still every Jew in Israel will pray this. Every practicing Jew, they will pray this every day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as a result of that, what should God's people do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. Paul says there is one thing, one. Last week he listed a whole load of things that we will briefly review in a minute or two, but now there is one thing that he is pursuing. And then in verse 13 and 14, he, he sort of, he starts to use this athletic imagery. That's why we've got Usain Bolt in the background at London, just cleaning up as usual. First thing that Paul mentions in verse 13 is forgetting what is behind. Now, are there things you wish you could remember? (laughs) Have you ever had that awkward moment when somebody that you love deeply says to you, do you remember when I told you yesterday? (laughs) And you sit there and think, no. I don't. I wish I could. I'm trying really hard, but I have forgotten. <laughs> Are there things you wish you could remember that, that you just can't? You're in that. Oh, do you remember that email I sent you two weeks ago? No. <laughs> um, I'm good at forgetting stuff. I wish I could remember some things a bit better. On a more serious note, sometimes you remember when somebody has come and ministered to you in the church and they have shared something really powerful with you. And you didn't write it down and you can't remember it. And it, oh, you get the gist of it, but you haven't got it all. Are there things you wish you could remember? But flip that. Are there things that you wish you could forget? Are there things you wish you could forget? I have things that I wish I could forget. Memory is a good thing, but some days it's a curse. <laughs> Because there are things you just wish you could forget. You're tired of them coming back and doing the lap of your head one more time. Is there anything you wish you could forget? What is Paul forgetting? The stuff that he has written, you read in context, and the stuff in the first half of chapter 3 that he that he said he used to boast in and he used to put his confidence in, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Pharisee, persecuting the church and faultless in terms of the law. Those are the things that he looks back on and says, I'm going to forget all of those. But I think there's one in particular that was really hard to forget. is that one there. The more I get to know Paul, the more I think, that that haunted him his whole life. He persecuted the church. Whatever is in your past, done by you or done to you, if Paul can disregard the things that he looks back on with regret, then so can we. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians, and now, by the power of the Spirit, he is preaching 
and building, joining Jesus in building the church. I think that was hard for Paul to forget. Don't, don't think that when you read Paul, don't be thinking sometimes, oh, it's easy for you to say that. It's not. <laughs> it's really not easy for Paul to say that we need to forget what is behind. In 1 Corinthians 6, he lists a, a sort of ugly list of sins and lifestyles all sorts of, of deviance and, and robbery and idolatry and all, all sorts of things that he lists. And then he says to them in verse 11, that's what you were, but now things are different. <laughs> now things are different. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The past no longer defines you. This is so important because the past will continually haunt you as it did for Paul. There are things you wish you can forget and it's hard to forget. But the past does not define you as a child of God. Jesus defines you. Your identity in Christ is what now defines you. Forgetting what is behind is easier said than done. Here's a, a guy Walter Hansen, who wrote a commentary on Philippians. And he says, this is talking about, see when you have an itchy nose behind a visor. It's very irritating. That's not what he talks about. He talks about uh, forgetting, the biblical concept of forgetting. And he says, forgetting is not a passive loss of memory. So we're not talking about when I cannot remember what has been said to me the day before. It is an active, continuous discipline of the mind and the heart. Although he did not actually forget the past, Paul never forgot that he persecuted the church. Okay, you can't forget that. There are things in all of our pasts which we can't actually forget in that they completely leave our memories. The pain was too strong. He did not actually forget the past. He emphatically chose to disregard it. He forcefully rejected it. He openly declared a non-observance of his past. Do you need to do that? Do you need to do that? You won't forget it as in it won't ever come back into your recollection or into your memory. But you choose to disregard it. You choose to disregard it. It's the same way whenever we read in the Old Testament about God forgetting our sins. Do you think God is forgetful? I don't think he's forgetful. But he chooses not to remember. And there's a massive difference. He chooses not to dwell on it. And we likewise, when things come to mind from the past, from what is behind, when things come to mind, we have a choice to make I will not dwell on that. I will disregard that. That does not define me. <laughs> that does not define me. There's a great moment that's just come to mind. has to be from Scrooge because most moments that come to mind at the last minute are from Scrooge. There's a great moment where he, he's with the, the ghost of Christmas past and he gets this snuffer thing that you use to put out a candle and he puts it over the top of the ghost of Christmas past and he says, haunt me no longer. And some of us just need to declare to the past, haunt me no longer. Forgetting what is past. I will not think about it. I will not dwell on it. What do you need to forget?
in that you choose not to remember it anymore. So he says he's forgetting what is past. What else is he doing? He's straining towards what is ahead. It's like the runners, whenever they get towards, it used to be a tape, I guess now it's a laser beam and they lean forwards into it, straining to, to get at it. The, the word actually implies exerting your body to the point of collapse. Now that is not advocating burnout in ministry, but it's advocating a mindset that is straining and pressing on towards something to push every part of yourself. Marathon runners, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but I think they talk about the wall. They talk about getting to that point in the race where it becomes mind over body. And the mind has got to overcome. And no matter what the pain is and the exhaustion is, the mind basically orders the body. We're keeping going. We're keeping going. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when you hear that phrase, press on, that Paul has used in verse 12, he says, press on. And here he says, strain towards. A passage that comes to mind from the Old Testament is Hosea 6.3, where Hosea calls on God's people and says, oh, that we might know the Lord, let us press on to know him. And what has Paul talked about in the verses just before this? He's talked about how he wants to know Jesus, that that surpasses everything. Not to know about him, not to have a ticket to heaven to keep him out of hell, but to know Jesus, to actually have intimate knowledge of him. That's what he longs for. No distractions. What are the distractions in life? Oh, guilty. (laughs) Guilty. Distractions. Things that come in. I, um, I always check myself when I find myself using the phrase, I don't have time for, or I haven't had time. I, I always try to just do a quick five second check. What did I have time for? <laughs> what are the things that I made time for? If I didn't have time to pray, if I didn't have time to just still myself in the presence of God, What in the last 24 hours did I make time for? What are the distractions? Recreation is important. Leisure, sport, exercise, fun. All of those things are important in their correct place. But so many of them, and particularly our jobs, can start to just increase to the point that they are massive distractions. Massive. What are the distractions? Because I guarantee you when, well, I don't know, he was so good, Bolt might have had time in a 100-meter sprint to look around, but I'm pretty sure he didn't look around very much. There is one great photograph of him in a race looking to the side, and you're thinking that guy is so good, and he knows he's so good. But in general, you'll not get many 100-meter sprinters turning around to see what everybody else is doing. Focused, pressing on, straining. And straining towards what? Paul says, I I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Heavenwards is a shocking translation. The word heaven is not there in the Greek at all. What it says is, and this is where the King James Version every now and again comes out (laughs) out out of the cupboard and wins the day. It's high calling 
or upward calling. That, that's, what, that's what Paul says. And pressing on to the high calling. Many different options have been put forth as to what that is. What is Paul's goal? What is his prize? Some people, because of that translation, some people think it's heaven. It's not heaven. <laughs> that is the influence of still greed and selfishness within us. The, the prize is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, is heaven. The prize in the, in the games, <clears throat> in the Greek world where, where Paul would have lived and, the, and the, would have had these games probably every year, the, the sprinter who won that foot race as it was known when he ran from one end of the amphitheater to the other and he won he then was invited to go up the steps to where the emperor was seated, the king, who would then give him his leafy crown thing, the equivalent of a gold medal, I guess. But the prize was to stand before the king. The prize was to stand before the king. He didn't care too much, I don't think, about some leaves on his head that were going to decay in a, in a few days. The prize was the king, the presence of the king, standing before the king. And for Paul, the ultimate prize is Jesus, always Jesus. One of the things we have seen in this letter, we already knew it, but we have seen it emphatically, is that this man was obsessed with Jesus. Even to the point, let me remind you that back in chapter 1, there are other people in Rome who are going around preaching and their motive for preaching is to try to annoy Paul. <laughs> They're trying to hurt Paul in how they are doing their ministry. And Paul says, do you know what? I don't care. <laughs> Other people are hearing about Jesus, so I don't really care what their motive is. He is obsessed with Christ. And that is the prize and the prize for all of us. It's the reason for being a Christian. It is the ultimate goal of the Christian life to become like Christ and to be with Christ. But he also uses this word called. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. And the ultimate prize is Jesus, but I think also here there is the notion of maintaining one's calling and sticking to the calling. Yesterday we had a forge day. Uh, it was the fourth Forge Day this year, and we were we were looking at church in today's culture, and we were looking at a wee bit about leadership and team. And one of the one of the phrases that came up a few times yesterday was this: mission drift, mission drift. And Forge is all about helping people to pioneer new things, not exclusively planting churches, but that that's the heart of it. And it is very much a, a very real danger for churches like this to find themselves in mission drift. Where you start off with a really clear aim. Build a worshipping community. Bring the life of Christ to the community around you. Bring hope where there is no hope. Engage with people who do not know Jesus. Set a table in your community so that the people who will not go to anything religious 
can come and eat a meal with Jesus and share life with Jesus. Does all that sound familiar? Because it should. Build interfaces where the river meets the sea. Create spaces where life can meet death and bring life. Does that sound familiar? All that should sound familiar. But mission drift can occur where you can start to just default into doing what church does. (laughs) Having a half-decent Sunday morning and a prayer meeting. And you can very easily just default into that and, and, and drift away from the drive and the call and need recalibrated and reset. And there are some good things that have come out of the past year, out of a horrendous year. But one of the good things is a chance to reset a chance to do a serious, hard reset. Control, alt, delete. <laughs> you know, force quit, whatever, and just reset, reboot, reclarify, recalibrate, and get back on track. The calling. Paul is going to stick to the calling. And he finishes off, and I'm finishing off. He says, he's a bit cheeky here, I think, a bit cheeky. <laughs> He says, if you're mature, you'll agree with me. There you go. Next time you have a disagreement with somebody, just throw that at them. If you're mature, you will take such a view of things. But he's used a word here that he also used back in verse 12. I think it was verse 12. In Greek, it's the word teleoi or teleos. And what he's, what he's largely saying in this passage is, the mark of maturity is realizing that you're not mature. The mark of a mature Christian is one who realizes, I'm not there yet. I get really deeply concerned if believers stagnate. I love it when I meet someone who has walked with Christ for 50 years and they're still soaking in the word every day. They're still learning. They're still changing. They're still developing character I think it's beautiful. But an awful lot of people in the sort of maybe 30s, 40s can stagnate. I'm born again. I've read the Bible a few times. I'm part of church. I like to worship. I go to prayer meetings. But I'm not, you know, there's almost this, you wouldn't put it like this, but there's almost this sense of I've got it sorted. I've got all all my ducks lined up. I've got everything as it should be, neat and tidy, And before you know it, you have stopped learning, stopped growing, stopped maturing. You're halfway along that arrow that we had at the start and you've just stagnated. Paul said the mark, the very mark of being mature is a realization, I'm not there yet, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. You read in Proverbs, you'll read about a fool who hates rebuke. Hates wisdom, hates correction, hates instruction, hates it when anyone says you should try this or do this differently or whatever. That's the fool. Whereas the wise in Proverbs never stop learning. Love teaching, love instruction, love opportunities to grow and develop and move forwards. That's where we want to be. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't retire. 
Are you more mature than you were last year? Are you more like Christ than last year? Not do you know more theology than last year? Are we pressing on? Or maybe let's put that a wee bit more positively. This time next year, will we be more like him? Will we be more mature in our faith? For every single one of you, if you're following Jesus, I want to tell you the best days are ahead. That is not just some glib feel-good thing. The best days are ahead for every follower of Christ because there's always more. Always more character to learn and to show. Always more riches. Paul writes in, in Colossians, um, I thought I had written beside it, but I maybe haven't. Colossians 2, 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I wrote in my journal the day that I read that this year, never stop digging. In Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid. Never stop digging. If I knew there was treasure or found treasure in the back garden, I'd keep digging for more and digging for more and digging for more. Don't ever stop. The best days are ahead. So are we there yet? No, I'm not. If you've been around any length of time, you'll know that. Are we pressing on? So I know the answer to that question for every single one of us. Are we there yet? The answer is no. Are we pressing on? Well, let's take a moment maybe before we sing, just take a moment in the quietness just to think about that. Are we pressing on?